Hello, and welcome to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I'm your host, Hugh Willard. Aging Well is a podcast for everyone in or approaching the retirement years. There's a lot to unpack here apart from the financial planning component, and we'll do just that. We'll explore new interests, priorities, and goals, and finding purpose for ourselves and in our relationships. Join me each episode as I share stories and chat with guests learning to live their best next act lives. Welcome back, everyone, to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I am so happy to have as my guest today, Dr. Catherine Esty. Catherine is a psychotherapist, a social psychologist, consultant, and expert on aging and finding purpose. Catherine has written four books, one of which is 80-somethings, A Practical Guide to Letting Go, Aging Well, and Finding Unexpected Happiness. This will be a centerpiece of our conversation today. She is a widow with four sons and 10 grandchildren, and she lives just outside of Boston in Concord, Massachusetts. So, Catherine, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, I'm really happy to be here and uh, have this conversation. You know, uh, talking about aging well is really my purpose in life now and get because I think I have something to say and I really want other people. I've learned something myself. I want others to learn it and uh, hear about it. Absolutely. So you wrote this book in it was published in 2019. And so I am interested in how you came to write this book. Um, you 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 shared uh, that uh, it was involved with when you turned 80 and you took a trip with your family to the Adirondacks. Will you pick that up and tell us a little bit more about your inspiration for writing this book? Yeah, I was, uh, Hugh, I was in kind of a funk as I turned 80. I thought, well, life has been good, but it probably is not, uh, probably peaking. It's not going to, I'm all decline now, going downhill. And um, it, one day I had a really an aha moment uh, when the uh, my grandchildren, a great big group of my family, my sons, we I think were three sons and maybe six or eight of the grandchildren. We all went to climb a, a mountain, Cat Mountain uh, on Cranberry Lake. Um, and I had done that for years. It was our, my summer home. And so I, it was just a kind of a place we went every year, an annual ritual. But this year was different. I uh, It had rained the day before. The path was a little muddy. I slipped and scraped my knee and it was bleeding. And I fell again in the very early time. And by the time we reached the place where you start climbing and it's kind of a scramble, I realized I wasn't the same person I'd been before. I just couldn't make it up that mountain. So I kind of sat down on a stump and one of my son, my son Dan stayed with me and the rest of them went up and had lunch on the, and looked at the beautiful view. And I sat there and tried to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't a superwoman and uh, that I, even though I could still do uh, a push up now and then, I was not uh, what I had been. I had to make uh, my peace with aging. Uh, I had kind of pushed it to the side because I was in pretty good shape and pretty good health. And so I thought I am going to have to come to terms 
but I couldn't come to terms. I was really still upset. And so I thought, well, there must be somebody that knows how to be 80 and what it, doing it well, and I could learn. And so I started interviewing people. And I, after the first one or two interviews, I suddenly felt a lot better. First of all, I had a purpose. I was looking. I loved the. It took me back. I am a social psychologist. I do like doing research. I am a therapist. I do like knowing. I was a therapist. I um, I was still working then. Uh, so I really like hearing what people are feeling about their lives. So uh, as I did this, I had a new purpose. Immediately, my uh, or gradually, my funk disappeared. And I was uh, purposeful and excited by seeing what uh, I learned about all these interesting people in their 80s that were doing amazing things. And uh, it kind of brought me to life and set me going. And it, it took me a couple of years to write the book, but uh, they were very happy years. You mentioned that you started out uh, with an interest just to learn more. And and, and in doing so, you, you began to interview folks and you ended up interviewing over 120 octogenarians uh, oh, yes. to learn about their experience. And and, and the book, uh, my understanding is, evolved out of that. Absolutely. Uh, out of just the, the exercise of, of talking to people. Well, I wanted people to know about being, you know, there are lots of books on 80, uh, on aging, but they're kind of preachy, many of them. Um, and some of them are very academic. But I wanted to, I was really answering the question, what is it really like to be in your 80s? So I kind of kept, was kind of strict. I didn't interview people in their 90s or their 70s because there was nothing in that I found in the libraries or on the line. And so this was about people in their 80s. And I wanted to get, I started right in my own, I'm in a retirement community. So I started, my first interviews were just around uh, my town and my in my community, but then I wanted people in the in all regions of the country, and I wanted people that were black and Hispanic and uh, immigrants, and I wanted men as well as women. And so it's not a, a academically formal sample, but it is a, a varied kinds of people, and especially I was looking for people that were. Uh, not uh, upper middle class, uh, but I wanted to get people that uh, financially distributed. Uh, but that was the hardest part. Cross section, yeah. right. cross section. And it, it was hard to, uh, I did get some people that were living very different kinds of lives. And so it's, it gives it, the, what I get is the complete variety and that, uh, of the, when you're in your 80s, the kinds of, it's a wide range of experiences. And I was able to capture that. And so, and I was also able with, I think, uh, the, the way I had been a, both a, a social, social psychologist and a therapist to get people opened up and told me uh, from their heart. So this book is like answering what what is it like? And you see it's very different for different people, but you get the uh, kind of inside picture of, uh, and it's written by, uh, I'm in my 80s, the people, the people I story I tell are in their eighties, and so it isn't young people looking at it. It's and then I did interview some of the eighties children, the adult children who were in their fifties, forties, sixties, some of them. And there's so an important, yeah, there's an important place, of course, for the, the academic um, frame and perspective, uh, of course, uh, but the but the qualitative side of things and and going into people's stories. I, I'm a huge proponent of that, and and you know that's that's such a such an essential medium 
to help us identify and relate, or even if we would say contrast, um, it helps us to become a bit more conscious and to think about our own experience. Um, and from that, be able to be more deliberative in choices we make and how we want to take care of ourselves. I, I think that's a wonderful angle. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think most people dread aging. And that's what I was facing. I think that people and, and in their 70s, they can kind of many people are able to kind of push it to the side and deny everything. But I think gradually, sometimes it's in the 70s, sometimes in the 80s, uh, people have to cope with it. And we, I think age, aging in America has a very bad rap. I mean, you can't find anyone who says, I'm looking forward to being 80. People uh, are dreading it. And so what, what I found out from, when, from my uh, interviews were that almost all the people were unexpectedly happy, that nobody thinks they're going to be happy. And, if, and so this word unexpected was really key for me because people say, and, and here I am, I'm 86 years old, and I never thought I'd be here. And here I am having, uh, you know, I've had a lot of losses, maybe my spouse is gone, but here I am, and I've been able to make a new life for myself, and, and I just never thought I'd be alive. And so I found out that that unexpected happiness was my major finding. And there, I did find some people who said, uh, I mean, I had one person who said, you know, I think I'll shoot myself because, uh, you know, I'm running out of money and I, there's nothing to live for. And, you know, I, my legs are flabby and I, I'm, and there were a few people, but even people in dire circumstances seem to have made their peace with it. There was a man in a, that it was one of my most unhappy people, but even he was unexpectedly happy. He says, a trip to the doctor's so great because they take me in a car and I can smoke. And he was, it was his, he would look forward to his cigarettes and he would look, you know, so people find joy and somehow are able to live in the moment. Well, on the quantitative side of things, the research side of things, or that part of the research, um, what you're referencing here is something that has been uh, discovered through the research, and that is the U-curve of happiness um, that, that shows that young folks tend to be happier, and then we do this, this sort of bottoming out in around the 50s, and then the curve goes up. And as we get up to the 80s, uh, give or take, that, that by and large folks are much happier of course you're describing there's always outliers right there's always exceptions of you know, so it's just about. yeah it's in general and i think that what the i think still today even though that u-curve has gotten a lot of publicity and there's places in the, other people have written about it when i say often if i'm talking to people you know people in their uh, 60s are happier than people in their 50s people in their 70s are happier than the people in the 60s people in their 80s are happier than people in their uh, 70s and i say you talking to an audience of older people like 60s and 70s age said you'll probably if you follow the general trend be happier in the next decade and that's what the research tells us and people that's kind of new information even though it's as you say it's been around for a while but it hasn't seeped into the popular uh, um, uh, they don't have it they haven't grasped it and they still dread it and it's because i think that we still cling to some old stereotypes and they don't know 
the new science that uh, what's been happening or they haven't put it together like so what in my book i kind of show that you know that uh people first of all the biggest thing that's different than our grandparents and our great-grandparents and even maybe our parents is you know modern medicine heart the treatment of heart has changed in just the last five years and same with cancer so people now are recovering and managing and living much longer lives and so people can look forward to that and but they can also look forward to being active and without pain in a way that never happened in all of history so that's just amazing and you know of course we all know people have hips and knees and shoulders and uh and then they have you know cataract new eyes uh, i mean it's just amazing you know it doesn't get eliminate all pain or all problems but there there is just so much more good health in older age people absolutely and and as you're describing this you know one of the thoughts that comes to my mind is is to go back to this idea of the of just the the messaging and the conditioning and the expectations that people hold with respect to getting older and that we we really we have a ways to go that we, I, I think more and more messaging is starting to shift I, i've referenced becca levy's book breaking the age code uh several times on past episodes and much of it has to do with our sense of of who we are and our attitude about aging and and we don't have to buy that that staid messaging that it's all decline and it's you know we don't have to buy that because you know we're we're losing we're losing happiness we're losing opportunity one you know one of my interests is is flattening that that u curve of happiness in a sense where it it just sort of takes the bottom out that you know we if we if we approach with intention who we are and what matters to us and our connections and relationships that, you know, we, we don't have to just be um, in, in, in some sense prisoner to that, that bottom of the curve part before we unexpectedly find the surprise that, Hey, I actually am happier as I'm getting older. Well, I totally agree with you, except I think it's kind of hard to do. I mean, what I've <clears throat> really liked, uh, there's a book called Elderhood. I don't know if you've read that, but it, it's that we've organized, we in America have organized our institutions. So it's no wonder people in their 50s are stressed out and un, uh, because they are taking care of their children and they're taking care of their parents and they're they're at peak job levels and they're working and we don't the people that are working are working too much and then they're so that uh they don't have times to rest or kind of de-stress and it's really uh we so we really need to to take that bottom out we need you know, to give the older people who still have good energy more work to do. I mean, I was found that out when I visited a kibbutz in um, Israel and saw how they give work to everybody works. So that like the, there was like a 94 year old man and he had eight hours a week of dishwashing or drying that and he could do that. But everybody works and that gives worth and um to everybody's life but we kind of have so many people that retire and you know suddenly at 59 and look forward to 40 more years and it's and it's kind of uh not knowing what to do and kind of it's with daunting. time it daunting right. and if they you can't be on vacation and play golf only you know right. so that so anyway it means that people are needing 
help with purpose and meaning. Um, so and the, so that uh, I think you're right on to something. And I do think hopefully in the years ahead, we will try to flatten that uh, and we'll try to uh, help people see that uh, older people have, that's my focus now, have much more possibility to find meaning, but they have to kind of strike out and realize that you uh, that they do need to have a purpose and a meaning, a project, something, sure. and they may need help in figuring that out. Across your interviews, um, you, you had uh, many different folks that, sh- that you interviewed, as you described, across all ilk of um, ethnic and cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds. And so it, it, was, a, it was a nice, uh, broad sampling across your interviews. And you spoke a little bit to some of the differences with respect to health advances today, but I'm interested in um, any other insights that you gained in your research and in your interviews with respect to how are things different today for folks who are in their 80s versus in the past? We do have the medicine, but we also have everything that we've learned about the brain, which is new in the last, uh, you know, several decades. But we did, we, we all believe that, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And we kind of thought that older people seem like they're slow. And, and actually, we do have trouble with technology. You get the people in their 80s and 90s, but you can learn. And that's what we learned the academic, the science, that uh, the older people can learn just as well, uh, and they don't stop learning. We used to think about 40, that's it, and then you kind of go down. But no, we can all learn. We can also, uh, they also uh, have taught us that the brain can heal itself, so that if you have trauma or depression, that the brain can create new uh, synapses and so that that is very exciting because it means that life now must be seen as an, a, a whole development and that we continue to become wiser, can become wiser and more, and that we continue to develop. And so that means that we can just picture life as a, a kind of a gentle incline like that of happiness and uh, wisdom. And hopefully we grow in compassion too. So that all, um, and it turns out that the older brain, which we didn't know, is kind of a a softer place to live. With people, the emotions are less intense, less anger. Uh, Maybe uh, it's kind of a calmer place. The older emotions, people are not so angry, not so, uh, everything is a little muted. And that, is means people have an easier time i think uh and you know i as i was doing a psychotherapy and i had some older couples and nobody the older couples aren't throwing things at each other and screaming there they they keep have made peace and so if you talk with people in their 80s 70s 90s they're more peaceful uh by and large uh more mellow i can you know they're able to to enjoy, but and more able to live in the moment, I think, which we've all been trying to do, but we've all been trying to achieve something mostly. Absolutely. Can you share with us some of the advice that you give in your book for the adult children of 80 somethings? Well, I think, you know, it's very, uh, it was all sort of uh, the tension between adult children and their parents was sort of 
put under severe tests recently with the pandemic uh, because everybody was so worried about that worried about each other so i think things got uh, tense because the children the uh, were kind of getting quite bossy and ordering their parents around don't go out mom do not go anywhere and i think uh and most of the children some of the children were 90 or 80 or 70 year olds in the 80s uh just sort of knuckled under others got sort of annoyed with their uh, but it was there is now a lot of research showing that that is the trend that the the younger generation was more worried even then and here i in the 80 years olds are the one that are told that we're vulnerable but we know we're vulnerable anyway so we've lived with that cloak on us of uh vulnerability and i think that for 50 year olds it was shocking to think that they might face a you know a deadly um, sure. disease but it's important uh, i think maybe what you might be angling towards it's important that the adult children understand the, uh, the, I'll say, the necessity of engagement for the 80-somethings. And so Absolutely. there needs to be, you know, that, that variety of experience and environment and the social connections. Yes, I think that we've all learned that we need social connections, that we're social animals, but also we all need to learn how to talk across generations, I think. And, and um, you know, it's important uh, for both to listen and i think that's uh and find out what's really going on inside so that the, i think that uh the adult children need to uh confront their parents too so they can be very they're often more not when it's not about the pandemic they have the issues of when they see their their beloved father or mother or whatever their car all banged up and they obviously are maybe not uh, such good drivers how do you how do you actually deal with this or maybe they're yeah. concerned that their their uh, parent can't really function alone and what I've learned is that the 80 year olds are tr trying to hide their disabilities often of so that some of them don't even know how to turn on their TVs any longer but they don't don't tell their kids. And so that um, there's a lot of that can be done to help the adult children be more observant of what's really going on and, and figure out how to intervene and do it in a way that is respectful and of their parents autonomy, but at the same time, helping them to face what's really going on. And that takes some skill and some um, and it's, it's subtle because uh, to, to be able to really intervene in, in a helpful way and uh, people often are just blast their way in and uh, it's very hard. And, but there's so much to be learned and there's so much uh, richness when the ge generations can communicate about what's going on and can manage the inevitable things at the end of life that can talk about it. but. In America, so many are not comfortable. You know, we can hardly use the word "die" or "death." Right. You know, we—it's just we're as a culture we're sure. pretty much denying or not able to talk about it. We had on our show last week Dean Lambert, and this was our conversation: was talking about end of life decisions and how to make those preparations uh, ahead of time in, in a more dispassionate. Uh, space and time to be able to think clearly for everyone in the family involved. And, uh, and so these are hard conversations and, and it's true. Oftentimes folks are ill-equipped 
to move into those conversations, but they are so essential, both as you you mentioned the word autonomy, um, the, as, as there are changes that come around, how are the adult children cognizant, plugged in, able to certainly validate um, the experiences of their parents, honor their autonomy, how and where that can happen, but have those hard conversations when changes are afoot including up to uh, the conversations that really need to happen around end of life care. Yeah. And there are some tools that, you know, available for people that you can put them in touch with, like the five questions that is a, a packet of questions. And if people gives them a guideline and, you know, and in my book, I gave uh, every chapter I put in these conversation starters and some tips because I think people need uh, some handles and some help uh, in doing this. And if they, you know, like uh, questions are like, if you tr- really think dad shouldn't be driving anymore because he's had two accidents, how do you how do you start the conversation and you can say things like uh, well dad what what would it be like if you gave up driving or you know you can kind of edge it into it instead of blasting into it so i think there are um ways we can help uh all of us confront uh because i know um family meetings is something that i feel very are very very helpful and um Mm -hmm. when you're going through questions for, of, of aging and, and right. get bringing everyone together. When uh, my husband was failing, uh, we had a number of meetings that uh, the boys came from hither and yon because it, there were some very difficult questions and we needed to be together and then we needed to talk to more people and talk to some experts and you know, find out you know what the prognosis was. And I think that, um, so that's one of the kind of tools, uh, I think, that can be so helpful sure, uh, sure. for adult children to uh, learn how to kind of maximize the kind of joy of this period and kind of keep uh, everything on a really a loving uh, and serene pattern rather than conflict. Sure. So your book came out a couple of years ago, uh, I guess three years ago at this point. Yeah. So. Um, what's going on for you today and what's ahead for you? Well, what's going on for me today? Just three years ago, I just, I, I started writing a blog and I have been um, writing a, a monthly blog uh, ever since November of um, uh, three years ago. And uh, I've also written some other articles. So I've kind of turned myself, I retired from my psychotherapy practice last November. So I had been working right up till then I was 87. It wasn't a big practice at the end, but so that was a change for me and because I really had postponed retiring. So I'd retired. I I kind of became more of a focus on my writing. And um, personally, you know, uh, my kids, of course, are all busy at their ages. They're in their mostly they're in their 50s and, and actually the early 60s so you believe it have a child that's 60 amazing but anyway so i you know i'm busy with friends here i have a a new love which i mentioned in my book that was very new in the book but is now uh we went through the pandemic together uh and i'm looking in terms of my writing um i just am thinking about a new book i mean that uh, would be maybe uh 
a collection of essays and thoughts I've, of what I've written. And um, so I'm thinking about that. And um, uh, for a long while, I said, well, I can't do another book. Uh, and people had said to me, are you going to write about the 90s? And I decided, no, I, I, I was afraid that, you know, all my research, which shows how happy people are, I wasn't sure it would continue in the 90s. But so I did a blog with my one of my recent blogs was what it's really like to be in your 90s. I interviewed just five people, but it was enough to dabble into that. And uh, so I'm busy with the writing and that keeps me thinking about things. I'm a, my personal life, my Peter, my partner and I, we have a nice pattern of life. We live in this comfortable retirement community. Uh, so. Um, and we've had, I've had some health bumps and since in the last three years I had, but, uh, life is good. Well, and as I hear your description of these things, Catherine, I hear your energy and I hear your passion. Um, and you know, it's interesting to think about your description of when you turned 80 and you were, you were kind of in a low place, you were kind of in a funk and coming face to face with some, some limitations and, and then out of that, you really, you got traction, you, you, you found footing and you really moved into, of course, what turned into your book project. And, and now you're describing that you're blogging and you did some interviews with folks and, uh, and of course things are going well in your personal life. So I, I hear, I, I hear that that's still a focus and a, and a forward path for you. It is, but I should say uh, part of the, what's in my blog too is I did have a, a serious brush with death. I had a, uh, you know, had surgery and had to, uh, and uh, so that I've also, uh, you know, I I write more. Uh, I mean, it, I I am personally in touch with both the hard that there are hard as you get older that there can be bumps, challenges, and obstacles, and it's so it's it's uh, but I having. And that keeps me in touch with, I think, a lot of uh, the whole gamut of experience. But I have, but right now things are going well. And, uh, you know, I, I just read a sentence that I'd written the other day saying I'm, in, in, at the time I wrote the book, saying I'm as happy as I've ever been. And I thought, it, uh, and I, I think it is easier to be happy um, uh, for some reason when you are the, older that you live you don't look in the future you know the future is smaller right. and i found in my book and i know this is true for me personally that you've kind of old stressed relationships almost everyone has somebody that they didn't get along with a sibling or a father or mother that you kind of get understanding for the other person's point of view and and so there's a kind of coming uh, making peace with your past and you kind of don't relinquish the thing I want. I'll be making more money or I want to do this. I've got to do that. And you kind of are able to be where it is and get take the pleasure with the. Uh, I can watch the sunrise every morning and uh, the small things that are there and uh, and the morning coffee and I still get my two New York Times and um, uh, so that there's this new ability to be in the present and to really enjoy it. So beautiful. Before we finish for today, of course, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with us. Very, very much appreciate you doing so. How can folks find out more about you, your work, your books, your blog? Where can they best, uh, where can they go to best uh, find out about your work? 
Well, the, I do write this blog and they can go to my website, which is, and maybe uh, you can uh, put it. This will be in the show notes. Yes. And that, and then they just go to blog and they can then read the blogs that interest them. Uh, or they can just go to Amazon and buy the book if, if they want. Uh, it's, you know, Catherine Estee. And it's not, you know, it's E-S-T-Y. Everyone now can, can gets it. Gets confused. Confused. <laughs> but right. uh, so the book's there. And um but my blog, I, we try, I try to give resources uh, of other books to read, and uh, and, I, and I've been so I'm interested in. I have a newsletter that people can subscribe to too, so right. they can all so of the, the ways. All to, that's on the website, and so the website is it's katherineesty.com. E-S-T-Y dot com. Catherine Est Catherine with a K. With the Catherine is the trick part. You have, you have the, to spell it. Yeah. It's because it has, like me and Catherine Hepburn, spell it with two A's, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, yeah. Absolutely. And that, of course, will be in the show notes for folks, so they'll be able to get the the accurate yeah. uh, information to get to your information, which is so helpful, so good, and so important for all of us. Okay. Catherine Esty, thank you again for joining us, and we wish you all the best in the time ahead. Well, thank you, Hugh, and I wish you well, too. I mean, I love your Aging Well podcast, so uh, we share our passion, and it's nice to meet a fellow traveler. You have been listening to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I am author, psychotherapist, and life coach Hugh Willard. To learn more about this podcast, listen to other episodes, and discover resources related to our guests and topics, please go to our website, findingbeautyinthegray.com. If you have comments or questions, or would be interested in sharing your story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at findingbeautyinthegray.com. Aging Well is produced by Willow Way Creations, with sound engineering by Garrison Locke. Theme music is written and performed by yours truly, with Greg McGee and Garrison Locke. Thanks everyone for joining us. We hope you will be with us again next week.